0: that i lose everybody
1: you didn't lose me he has a muted symbol i got gotcha. you oh, yeah i got you i, go. gotcha. <laughs> I, I went i was talking for like 10 seconds there <laughs> 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 all right so the the big to me has been resonating it's, me, with
0: me since i heard it and it made me play with this idea Eight leagues. yeah we're probably not the people discussing this because Welcome back, Tribe from the North Brave and Bull, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the home of your Idaho Vandals on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I am your host, Chris, and join with me, as always, I have Brian. We also have a guest on today, Rusty from the Eagle Power Hour Podcast, the Eastern Washington affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. Because this podcast is brought to you, like all podcasts, by Montucky Cold Snacks. Ain't nothing like cracking a Montucky Cold Snack, an ultra-refreshing, light beer born in majestic Big Sky Country. The best part is, when you crack a snack, you're giving back. Montucky Cold Snacks donates 8% of profits back to local Idaho causes. Supporting organizations like the C.W. Hogs and the Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw! That's frickin' awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, the light American lager for pow-pow rippers, gator wranglers, pony riders, and badass... Do-gooders. Visit montuckycoldsnacks.com today to find out how to get your ass some snacks. Today's podcast, we've, we've got a lot to cover. There's there's some trouble in paradise. We've got the Red Scare, Battle for the Palouse, the Cold War basketball game, named TBD. Uh, we've got some generic FCS news to cover in the NCANT is going to the Big South. Also, we got to recap what we did in basketball against Montana and Montana State. And then, time pending. Uh, we'll kind of cover the basketball team as a whole, and maybe cover some of the two articles I've recently released, and just get some other opinions from Brian and Rusty uh, on the one you can find on top of the club that's fixing Idaho's schedule and Big Sky or the Big Sky root sports game. So we're going to try to cover all of it. Obviously, we're going to keep you guys around an hour. Rusty has to run, so that's why we'll keep everything that doesn't involve Rusty till the end. So hopefully, you guys are along for the ride. Let's start it off with Rusty. There has been a weird little bit of drama going on the Big Sky Twitter sphere. The Eastern Washington fan base seems to have a little bit of drama going with Big Play VA Vernon Adams, probably the best quarterback that's ever played at the school. Um, I know you guys just had him on your most recent episode, and I guess I was just wondering if you could kind of one, you know, talk about the episode. What it was really cool. I definitely want to promote it because it was cool hearing Vernon Adams, somebody that. Me as an Idaho fan, I was aware of before we were even in the Big Sky. Um, so I remember texting my brother. I t- said that in a tweet that right when I watched him almost beat UW, and I sent the tweet to my brother right when Oregon signed him uh, as a grad transfer. And I was like, "You've got a stud coming. This is No Dakota Prukop, who they like just had. Uh, this is this guy's going to be an absolute stud. And injury pending, he would have been. I mean." Uh, I think you guys covered it. He was undefeated when he started at Oregon, but uh, there's a little bit of drama going on on Twitter with him. And then I kind of want to get your opinion on just who he was as a person and what you guys, without ruining your podcast, so they can go listen to it. Just kind of a brief recap of that.
1: Yeah, uh, there was a little uh, a bit of fireworks on the Twitter sphere, like you said between you know vernon adams and some of the uh eastern alum and some i guess an eastern player as well uh just more so talking about the culture of you know when Bull baldwin was here at eastern and now with coach best and if things have changed or not uh, uh so you know vernon adams tweeted out basically how things are a little bit different now than it was in the past and uh Eagle Power Hour, Kyle was able to reach out to Vernon Adams and uh, just kind of give him uh, an opportunity to kind of hear him out or whatnot. And Vernon Adams was uh, grateful enough to give us an hour of his time. He said, hey, I'd be happy to come on your podcast and talk about it. So he hopped on the podcast and Uh, more so it was the conversation was talking about his experiences here at Eastern because what Vernon Adams did offline was, you know, talk to coach best, talk to a lot of Eastern players and kind of the bury the hatch. Um, that's between them and, uh, Vernon Adams. So the, the, the podcast basically talked a lot about the experiences he had here at Eastern. And at the end of the day, we got to realize who Vernon Adams is. I mean, he, he is a very, uh, uh, I don't I don't want to say emo- emotional player, but he's a you know a high, intense guy, man. he He's a a gamer through and through. He put his body on the line for Eastern. He put his body on the line for Oregon. Wherever he plays, he's given one hundred percent. He's played through broken bones, has concussions. Uh, so there's no doubt that he, you know fully supports and loves Eastern Washington. Uh, but yeah, I, I highly recommend checking it out. That's just kind of the way that I view Vern Adams. I I had no loss you know, respect for the individual. It just, he, I mean, he has the right to say whatever he, you know, he wants to say uh, on Twitter. But he was able to talk to Coach Best and the Eagles players that are currently on the roster to kind of bury the hatchet. And I, to me, that's kind of all that matters. What what was your guys' take on it?
0: I mean, Brian, you're, you're the second biggest Eastern fan on this podcast. So I'll, I guess I'll have you go before I kind of take the total outsider of just being the fan of the player, not necessarily the team. I
2: mean, the first thing is it was good to hear that, you know, the hatchet was buried. Uh, one. I, I don't mean this as a put-down to Vernon Adams because I was a huge fan of watching Vernon Adams play. Uh, just so listeners know, as a junior, he threw 55 touchdown passes in 15 starts. Then his next year, uh, he threw 35 touchdowns in 10 starts. He covers the, the games he missed due to injury, but that's um, that's why he holds some Big Sky records, yeah, even didn't. though he only started for like essentially two years. I
0: believe Kyler said it on their podcast that— he ended up finishing in, like, two and a half years because he had split or split snaps his first couple years with more yards than Case Cookis did in his, like, what, seven or eight years he was doing that for NAU?
2: Yeah, so in 34 starts, he threw 110 touchdowns, God, that's uh, which to me is just astounding. Um, but I, I will say just, you know, seeing uh, a former player uh, be really – what appears online, you know, to be touchy about, you know, his school not being the way he wished it was or he thought it was from the outside. It comes across as like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, you know, not our uh, Uncle not Rico. not letting things change. But like it turns out that, you know, there was more than we saw on Twitter. And it is also positive that like actual conversations took place. So it turned out it was not what it looked like from afar. Mm-hmm. Um but big picture, man, Vernon Adams is one of the best big sky quarterbacks in the history of the conference. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's sweet that he was on. It's sweet that he was willing to give the time. And, uh, you know, we talked about his time. FCS talked about his time in Oregon, talked about being in the CFL, um, his perspective on why the NFL didn't work out. I mean, it's a pretty wide ranging interview, 100% worth an hour of your time. Yeah, it was really good.
1: Yeah, no, I think Brian, I think you're exactly right. Sometimes when I read some of the the tweets that come out by players, I just, you know, Herm Edwards pops up in my head. Don't hit send, <laughs> you know. Just think about what you're about to send out. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's his platform. He could use it how he sees fit. Uh, again, he's he's a very an emotional player, but I think that is that defines who he is as an individual. I think that kind of also helps shapes the kind of player he is. Because every time he stepped on the field, man, we, Eastern, had an opportunity to win because he brought that attitude. He brought that swagger, right? And that's just who he is, you know, through and through. Who you saw on the field is who he is off the field. So,
0: Yeah, it's uh, he was absolute phenom, one of my favorite players to watch of all time. And it it was cool to see him on. And it just goes to show, Twitter is... It's great because it brings us a lot of instant content, but this is a great example of what he was saying was just not being able to come across over 120 characters. He was trying to say everything out of love and, like, this is where I think the program needs to go and not necessarily, like, trashing Eastern, but on Twitter, it seems that way. Um, So it was nice to see you guys be able to get him on, kind of, you know, air the dirty laundry and then realize that, you know, it wasn't that dirty and everyone kind of probably sees a lot of these things very similar, and and just to hear his story because you know he was an Eastern guy, and you got to learn a little a little bit more about him when he was at Oregon. But honestly, that was some of the most in-depth coverage I've ever heard of him telling his story. Everything from starting in the LA area to you know what he said. I mean, screwing up his NFL chance, not Oregon, but him because he was just so like I've already made it and didn't spend the time and energy that he should have. But now he's happy to be up in Canada, and I don't you. I haven't gotten anything. He goes through like literally from. High school and being recruited all the way up to now signing a big deal with the Alouettes to be their quarterback in um, the whole draft and NFL process. So it was a really good interview if you haven't listened to it. Uh, obviously, we have Rusty on from the Eagle Power Hour with us, um, and I believe Kyler did the interview with him. So it uh, should be their most recent episode. If not, I mean, it's pretty easy. Just find the one that says Vernon Adams. Um, but let's let's shift away from the hardwood or from the the gridiron here and onto the hardwood because we actually have you guys in basketball t- today. When people listen to this, um, at, I believe it's a seven fifteen tip in Cheney. This game was. I mean, it was a typical Idaho game the first time around in Moscow. Uh, Brian and I already talked about this it. when we decided to really re-up the basketball coverage, this game right here, because I remember leaving a U- U- UW-Washington game, recap for people that didn't listen to that episode, specifically to catch this because Eastern's top team in the conference, I think they were actually number two at the time, but you know, it looked like you and Montana are going to be the two and just switch off all year. And I left a University of Washington game to try to catch this game on the bus. Uh, and then try to get home in time for it. And I remember watching that inbound pass where we had the lead with a couple seconds left and then some dumb fouling and everything happened like we've had too many times this year. And then we've literally inbounded the pass right to your guy. He didn't make a play on the ball. It was just, it was right into his chest. Never seen anything like it. But now we get a chance at redemption in Cheney in your guys' neck of the wood, Brian and Rusty. I guess what are your guys' you two being more of the basketball guys anyways? I mean... Are we going to see more of the same? Are the Vandals going to be able to compete in this? Or is Eastern actually going to show that they're just that good of a team and they kind of sleptwalk on Idaho the first time?
2: The big thing again for Idaho is going to be the kind of offensive effort we can that we put up. It's been consistent in our other games. If we can score around 70, then we can be competitive. So fans know, our season high against a Division One team Right now is 76 points. Um, Our season high in Big Sky play is 75 points. We scored that against Eastern. Um, That's Our offense has a very hard cap of right around 70 points. Uh, Downside, Eastern Washington is the second best offense in the conference at 74.4 points per game. Um, They have one of the... They give up... The third most points at 72.2 points per game, but that isn't necessarily indicative of bad defense because Eastern plays a higher pace style, which means teams have more possessions, therefore get more points against Eastern. Uh, that doesn't mean they're giving up, you know, uh, pretty bad. They're not giving up a lot of easy points. Their um, defensive field goal percentage is actually third best in the conference in conference play. Um, so um, even though they Give up a uh, you know more points than Idaho averages. Um, that doesn't mean this is going to be an easy day for Idaho. Uh, again, it's going to be important for Trayvon to have a a huge game, and hope we get enough supporting help uh, from our other guys. Um, but you know the, we have um, I don't I don't have it up in front of me. I can look it up real quick. I don't think we have another guy averaging double figures in conference play. Trayvon's our lead is averaging over 20 points per game um, he's had a couple of big games as of late because he's having oh, sorry we don't have another player who averages double figures in conference play Trayvon's averaging 22 and a half points per game in conference play uh, so the big question is can Trayvon keep putting up huge numbers and can we get enough support elsewhere
1: yeah it, to me it's when I look at this game is what Idaho team are we gonna get or what, what who are we gonna be playing against is it the Idaho team Idaho team that we saw earlier in the season is it the Idaho team that played Montana this last week or is it the Idaho team that you know just lost 73 to 45 against Southern Utah uh so I mean I mean Idaho does show up to games just inconsistent from my perspective of things um I think you hit the nail on the head uh and I agree with you completely is that 70 point range is 75 point range is what Idaho needs to do to to win this game and uh I don't think, you know, if Idaho's going to victory, it's not going to be a blowout by any means. It, I think it's going to be a close game. And just like we saw in last game, because all that whole second half, it was kind of back and forth throughout the, throughout the game. What Eastern needs to do, in my opinion, is to not give anything easy down low. If you start giving easy buckets down low or pen, allowing Idaho Vandal players to penetrate and either create shots uh, from guys collapsing uh, to the paint and then you know, passing the ball out and getting easy buckets, you know, that's, that's going to create more shot opportunities throughout the game. And in regards to Trayvon Allen, here's the deal with scores. You're not going to shut down a score. You know, a a true score is going to find, they're going to make their own opportunities to get buckets. But the best thing that we could do is just apply continuous pressure throughout the game and try to limit or obscure his shots the best that we can. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way that I see the game going. Uh, The big Big question to me is what Idaho team is going to be showing up to the game.
2: And can I, um to give further context, Rusty, when you say that, I presume I know what you mean. When you say the inconsistent, you mean offensively. You don't mean correct. defensively. Because, nope, if, like, nope. if you look through our box scores, we don't have a single conference game where we've allowed a team to score 80 points. Uh, Eastern has scored the most against us in conference. They scored 78. But in spite of that, I mean, the 78 is the most points per game in a game you give up in this conference. That means your defense is relatively solid. The problem is um, our is offensively one. We just don't have shooters. Uh, Trayvon's shooting well, but aside from him and by the way, Trayvon, we can talk about this later if we want. He is having a much better shooting season that this year than he did last year. Uh, but he, we don't have, we don't surround him with sharpshooters like we had Cam Tyson last year. We don't have anyone flirting with that this year. We don't have go-to scores in the post. We have opportunistic scores in the post who are fine with like putbacks and cuts and things like that. But you know, um, Jack Wilson, Scott Blake, at this point in their careers, they're not guys that you want to force feed down in the block uh, and think you're going to get a good shot. And uh, circling back to just you know buttress the point that Rusty made. Against Montana State last week, halftime it's tied thirty-two to thirty-two. Idaho shoots six of twenty-two from the field in the second half, zero of seven from three, uh, six of twenty-two. By the way, is twenty-seven percent, and we score eighteen total points. We get blown out in spite of only allowing seventy-two points, which it, it's pretty hard to get blown out, of allowing just seventy-two points. But you know, if you score eighteen points, less than a point a minute and a half, that's how you do it.
0: Yeah, and. I, I mean, once again, it's not like we were, un- like you said, we were tied at halftime. Um, the Montana game wasn't bad. We, we hung in it. We were leading, I think, up until about halftime maybe. But I remember like following the game and watching it on Pluto, and uh, I was at a friend's house, and we were watching, you know, had it on passively while we were playing cards and some other stuff. And I keep looking at the score. I'm like, holy crap, we're still in this. We're winning. Oh, my God, we're still in it. We're winning. Um, so... It's just one of those things. We have those two really bad games, the Southern Utah and, I believe, was it Northern Colorado where they just, yeah, so Southern Utah and Northern Colorado at home after just the week where we said, like, holy crap, we we did good. We went toe-to-toe with Montana, we went toe-to-toe with Eastern. Then Brian and I were telling you guys, like, this team is going to eventually win one or they're going to finally get beaten down from losing one. And, obviously, you've seen that. You lose in a heartbreaker to NAU. You lose... Uh, you win a one against Sac State, then you are tied at halftime against Montana so State. Get blown out. You're in it with Montana until pretty much the end, then you lose by 11. Eastern going to be a different animal. They're not at home like Montana. It's going to be harder seeing them the second time. But I mean, this team's definitely gotten better as the season's gone on, in my opinion. Watching from kind of afar, not super into it. Um, yeah, I, I've said it all year. It this team is not a threat. In it's going to be a team that beats somebody in the conference tournament. It's get this team to Boise with the experience and they're going to ruin somebody's tournament and then they're going to lose in the next round. Uh, And then you just hope that we only have, I think we've covered two or three people leaving next year, only one real key contributor. So it's just building on that. Hopefully a new coach comes in and can really elevate everything. But for instance, for those of you that don't listen to the Eagle Power Hour, uh, Rusty, I don't think it's going to be a, what'd you predict? Like a 21 point blowout?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I, I proudly said uh, 84 to 62, I believe. But here, so let, with that being said, though, I, I mean, Idaho absolutely has, you know, you know opportunity to win this game because the the formula for being Eastern is out there uh, There's there's no question about it and the, Idaho's come in there with a, a chip on their shoulder So this is my view of, you know beating Eastern Washington is you have to play physical, you know basketball on the defensive side uh, you have to create uh, you know, poor shot opportunities you have to create, you know, turnovers and win the rebound bo- battle, and that's what Idaho did last time, uh, playing against Eastern Washington. I believe they got 39 rebounds to Eastern's 29, mm-hmm. not allowing second chance opportunities and, uh, under a lot of pressure. I mean, Eastern has shown against Montana, uh, they've shown that against Sacramento State of uh, just poor shot selection when the pressure is applied on the de- defensive side of the ball. But I, I just I mean, it's 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 gonna be tough if if Idaho's making their shots and they're shooting uh, above average. So they shot even compared to you know how they did in Montana when they shot around I believe 52%. If they could have that type of performance, uh, I think it's gonna be a, a, a long game. I think it's gonna be a good game to watch to uh, the final couple of seconds. But uh, I did predict a, a Eastern Washington victory, 84 to 62.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm going to kind of steal what you and Kyler were talking about and as a wise person once said on this podcast, for Idaho to win, it's going to take them getting to 70. Uh <laughs> I I think this one is uh Eastern probably like 71, Idaho 59. The spread on it uh is 15. I think that might be a little high, but I mean we'll we'll see. Over under is 145, but that's cuz Eastern just shoots the lights out. But um yeah, I I don't know. I I probably if I was betting on this game, I would probably take Idaho and the under. But uh, I just I don't know. We'll see. This is I think the first real test of us going up against a quality Big Sky team for the second time around, but also at their place. Where Montana we had at our place. Not that we have a great home atmosphere, but uh, Eastern's going to be I'm assuming pretty lit for this. It's it's a quasi rivalry or a, a budding rivalry. We'll call it. It's, um, I mean, it's cold and cheating. You want to go into those indoor sports. You're the number two team in conference. I mean, why not? It, it's uh 745 tip off gives you tons of time to get your homework and everything out of the way and then get a nice Thursday night gaming before it's time to round out of Friday into a nice long weekend for students with it being a uh, president's weekend this weekend. So
1: yeah, and well, and vice versa, right? I mean, Idaho's playing the number two team in the Big Sky right now, uh, and they lost to them last time by you know a, a, a close game, seventy-eight yeah, to seventy-five. A, a so they're absolutely going to you know be standing up and getting up for this game. So what are your guys' take? Like, what are your guys' views of you know what Idaho needs to do to beat Eastern Washington?
0: I honestly, I don't think we can do it. the The only way we pull this off is just outworking you, and luckily for us, I think this team has shown all year that. They won't get outworked. Now, they might lose still, but like the amount of fight that this team has showed all year for how bad they are. We we're saying the record barely shows they're any better than last year, but with Zach Kloss in year one, that's the one thing he's brought to this team is just fight, and you see it in all these close games. And, you know we, start, we said earlier in the season we thought a couple of them would start falling our way. They haven't, unfortunately, but uh, it, it's just going to take Eastern sleepwalking through this one after. I mean, to be fair, you're coming off – uh, I mean, I believe you have had a game since, but uh, yes, you have at Montana State where Montana you Montana State, yeah. You know. But that Montana game got chippy, uh, so I don't know. We'll we'll see. I don't. Maybe Idaho needs to bring the same intensity that Montana brought to that game, and maybe catch Eastern off guard with like, whoa, they're taking this real serious. But yeah, I don't know if we can pull this one off. Uh, I think our n- next couple wins are going to be against but you for the bottom half right now. Um, and then I, th- I do think we win one in the conference tournament. I just, this seems too good. And then you'll be in front of Boise, which is going to have a bunch of people that have no idea what the record are and are just going cause they're in town. So it's going to be a defuncto home game. They're only one of the year with probably any atmosphere and they'll probably beat, I don't know, like a Southern Utah or Northern Colorado in the first round and people will be like, what the heck? Brian. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two components. I mean, um, Eastern offensively, there's uh, three key players for us. Uh, Yeah. Jacob Davison is a shooting guard, leading scorer, averages 17 uh, just under 18 points per game in conference. He's more of a streak three shooter than a, a good three shooter. It's kind of like Trayvon. He's a, as far as shooting threes, he's kind of like Trayvon last year. Trayvon had the ability to make threes. He would sometimes get hot and hit a few, but um, you know, he shoots 32.8% from three, which is not what you'd call a sharpshooter. Um, their other big scores, Mason Peatling, he's a post, uh, averages 17.1. Um, he, he can stretch the floor a little bit, but he definitely scores the majority of his points pretty dang close to the hoop. He's also a you know, real, real strong rebounder, averages 10 rebounds a game in conference. Definitely. Uh, those two are great early. Um, all one th- those two will both make one of the first two all week sky teams. Uh, other guy we have to look at is Kim Aiken, who he is a post, but he's more of he's kind of like a big sky stretch four about uh, like correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Rusty. But uh, from what I've seen with Kim Aiken, he he gets a decent amount of his points from outside. He's a real strong rebounder. Those three all average double figures. Um, the big thing for us is I think making um, Jacob Davison and Kim Aiken have to make, um, you know, some threes contested uh, for sure, you know not get, leaving those kind of shots open. Uh, but uh, Mason Peatling shoots a real high percentage. So it's going to be important for us to not to, one, not have our post get in foul trouble, uh, which has been an issue for us all year, but to make their scores earn it from the outside, they're going to get their shots off. We need to make sure they're not good shots. And then offensively, man, this is where I'm slightly concerned with Idaho, where I think we're getting a trend downward, where as Trayvon is uh, playing better and better as the season goes on, um, he's getting less and less help. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're we're like, we're, you know, he scored 36 against Montana and uh, besides his 36, Gabe Quinnette scored 14 going four or five from three in the first half. Um, Like Gabe Quinnette looks like he could be a solid player, but prior to that game, he hadn't really contributed anything. So I just don't think we can rely on a dude to shoot, you know, 80% from three every game. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Um so aside from him, we didn't really get any help. Uh, Trayvon didn't really get any help against Montana, and that's kind of been a, a downward trend for us the last few weeks. So um, whether it's Scott Blakeney getting some put points on putbacks, uh, whether it's Jack Wilson just not getting in real quick foul trouble against Montana, Jack Wilson played eight minutes and picked up three fouls, uh, which you know, if he's not he's our big athletic seven footer, but if he can't be on the floor, he can't help. Uh, we just need people other, other than Trayvon, to help Trayvon. Pre- while Trayvon also has a huge game.
1: The way that I look at it, in regards to you know Mason Peeling, I mean I think he's number one in the big sky right now when field goal percentage shooting around like fifty four percent. A majority, like majority, majority of his buckets are you know right next to the hoop. So. Uh, Here's the thing is like, once you start allowing that, you'll, you know, the double teams will start collapsing and, that, and that's when Eastern is going to start looking for their jumpers or their three pointers. And uh, just last game, I mean, Eastern hit like, 14 or 15 three pointers against Montana State. I mean, they're shooting just an absolute ridiculous amount of threes and making them uh, with a pretty good percentage. So once you allow Eastern to get in a good shooting rhythm, that's when the trouble comes. But if you're forcing, you know, continuous pressure throughout the game, not allowing any easy buckets like Brian was saying. And to me, that's when you really have an opportunity. And luckily with Eastern's play style, they're allowing, I think, second most points in the big sky. So uh, I think, you know, it. The, Idaho does, definitely does have an opportunity, but they definitely have to be firing on all cylinders.
0: You were ba- You like recruiting, right? I know it's not necessarily Brian's thing, but we've had some stuff kind of come up recently with some recruiting, and I kind of want to talk about it. Let's talk. Unless you'd rather talk T already.
1: No, let's, let's talk some recruiting. I actually had a question for you guys on recruiting. Okay, so yeah, we'll do Your that. Thoughts.
0: So for those of you that aren't aware, uh, the Tubbs of the Club team, mostly Martin, has been keeping a nice little spreadsheet. We've been keeping track of recruits just for you guys. You can find that at com. It's called the 2020 Vandal Recruiting Tracker. We've been updating it periodically every couple of days. I just updated again this morning. I found something super interesting, and I think you and Kylo did a super good job of covering this on your podcast, uh, but I think we are the the ultimate example of maybe the flaws in both of these systems. So right now, if you're an FCS recruitment fan, there are two major things to look at at recruiting. One is the one that everybody uses, 247sports.com, which rings every recruit, Um, In the – well, not every, but pretty much every recruit in the nation has a page there, um, and they they rank everything, FBS to FCS. Uh, You can see I believe Eastern Washington is one of the teams that's ahead of New Mexico State, so beating an FBS school and recruiting this year. Uh, But that's an example. In in that, Idaho finished fifth in the FCS, which you probably saw on Twitter because we bragged about it a bunch. Uh, Not us, but the Vandal Football account. And we finished third in the Big Sky behind Eastern and, I believe, probably like Montana State. If I was guessing off the top of my head, I didn't write. Oh, uh, notable schools, we are behind. So, yeah, behind, we are, we'd we be fourth in the Big Sky. I did that wrong. So Princeton's one, Eastern Washington's two, Montana State's three, Cal Poly is four. Then we're ahead of North Dakota State, who is 10, and we're ahead of Montana, who is 23. So you're looking at that. We're, we're fifth. We're one of the best recruiting classes in the year. I think last year we were like second until like one of the very last days of signing day, and then we moved into like eighth. Um, Hero Sports, which is run by most mostly totally Brian McLaughlin from Hero Sports. Sam Herter does a little bit more of the draft day stuff. Uh, he only re- posts a top 50, in which Idaho does not make that list. And we are currently ranked in the, with the recruiting rankings, which I'm not sure how much he's updated the conference by conference with, I mean, it, it's super busy. This still goes till April. Uh, he might touch on this after April, but we're ranked sixth. So in my mind, I just find it so weird the discrepancy between two recruiting systems, one in which two, four, seven sports go strictly off camps and scouting and everything like that and makes a player rating based and then that's how you get stars. And then Hero Sports goes strictly off offers, which, because as Brian's, uh, I've said rightfully so, he is not a scout, so he's going to trust the coaches do the scouting. Now, I guess can we talk maybe the flaws in both of these, and maybe go on where you think Idaho's class actually falls? I know you and Kyler put us in, I mean, right about in this range. I think you both had us at like fourth or fifth in the Big Sky, and according to this, we're we're fourth and sixth. So. In the big sky-wise, it's perfect, but on the national scale, there's a huge discrepancy from being fifth to not in the top 50. And I reached out to Brian to see, like, hey, I don't know if you went past 50 and just didn't publish it, but we're going to be discussing it on the pod. Um, And like I said, he's busy, so he didn't get back to me. But, I mean, there's a chance we are literally 51, so I don't want to act like you know we're 100 or 98. We'll we'll go operate under the assumption that we're 51, knowing that it could be worse. But still, fifth to 51st, there's a huge middle ground in between there. And I guess I'm curious what you think of both systems and where you think Idaho kind of lies. And then Brian, if if you have any say on this. I know you don't follow recruiting too much, but I just thought that was interesting that we can be 5th and 51st in two different recruiting rankings.
1: All right, so the the big to me that when you look at the the offers or I'm sorry, the star system and the uh, like the offer system mm-hmm. uh which I'll I'll call it uh there's two different metric systems. Uh, so it, it really depends. Uh, I mean, if you look at Brian's system, for example, I mean, it's all based off of how many offers those uh, recruits have in, in different points values for FBS, the amount of FBS offers uh, and FCS off- offers and preferred walk-ons. There's a different point value for all of that in regards to a formula. And then there's obviously the star, uh, the star system, which I think we're all pretty familiar with. And mm-hmm. to me, I just take them as two different metrics and as a fan I will uh basically look at the star system and do more research on my own and the same goes with uh Brian's uh si- or offer system and I'll, I'll just do the, the same thing with that I it's just you can't say one's better than the other they're just two different animals um yeah. that, that's just kind of the way that I view it
0: yeah I, I think my big the thing I just you gotta think about with Brian's It's just where I kind of hold my water here. Actually, let's go – sorry, Brian Marceau. I'll let you weigh in before I kind of go on my little dive on this.
2: Now, full disclosure, because I listened to the recruitment special you guys had, I might be following recruitment better than some people think. But second, um, so my view on this is both of these are, of course – both systems are, of course, working in abstraction, which is to say um, they are trying to project a future that has not taken place yet. So the way I view these is I like that they both weight different metrics. So because we're just as a fan, when you're looking at your recruitment info, you're mostly trying to find out, okay, like, was our recruitment class good or does it kind of suck? I think it's I think a great way to do to do it is put them both together and kind of say, okay, well, like, what if we average these out? So like maybe um, Idaho doesn't have a top five class, but you know, if we're, a, if we have a top 20 class, and people develop, we should be real happy about that. Because what matters is, is how people develop once they're on campus. And the second thing I would say fans should look at is a lot of the freshmen are not going to contribute in year one. And most people when you hear about recruitment, you're wondering how this connects to your program in a future nearer than four years. So I'd look at Idaho's individual class Look at the pieces we needed to have replaced and whether we got guys who we who will likely contribute next year and to me the answer is yeah we do we got a, a potential quarterback replacement we got uh in um Mike Beaudry we got wide receivers like Chauncey Smart who may be able to step in uh and join Catrell Haywood make up for Jeff Cotton's lost production we got Fave Fave uh from Washington State who he's linebacker I believe who we can expect contribute. We got Darian Nash from Montana at corner, and we need help in the secondary. If we got guys who we know we can point at and say we think there's a good chance they'll contribute, I think fans should be happy right now, uh, and I'm fine saying, yeah, we're top 20.
0: Yeah, and that, that's another thing that also weigh in is Brian's is strictly high school recruits, and what Brian Marceau just touched on is we did get a lot of transfers in with Fave Fave, uh, Darian Nash, Mike Beaudry. So, I mean, we've got guys who are going to be immediate contributors that aren't a part of Brian's rankings, uh, McLaughlin's. But I'll just say Hero Sports from now on to keep it less confusing. Um, The other thing to think about with Hero Sports, and I think this shows later, which we'll get into, but you've got to remember, there's a reason Montana's also not in the top 50 of his. Like, the fact of the matter is, if you're a team like James Madison, for instance, James Madison, there's like... Eight or nine schools just in Virginia that have D1 football. That is eight or nine schools that will probably offer most of these kids a scholarship. And how Brian's system works is strictly on, do they get a Power 5 offer? Do they get a Group of 5 offer? Do they get a Power 3 FCS offer? Or do they get a lower tier FCS offer? And each offer you get is worth a certain amount of points. Because obviously if Power 5 schools want you, which is why the top recruit, I think, is like a D-tackle going to Stephen F. Austin, who had 25 FBS offers, most of which are, like, from the Power Five, yeah, that person is going to be his number one recruit. Now, if you go to 247 Sports, I was compiling a list, and then they actually came out with it later, so I could be wrong because they have it posted, but I believe he was, like, number seven or eight in 247 Sports rankings of it, so not number one. And then you look at Out West, one of our biggest complaints with the whole FBS-FCS thing and just having that we just needed another conference in period Out West. That's why the WAC going away was so harmful to football in the West is there's just not enough schools out West. So, yeah, there might be a really good kid from Idaho. I mean, look, we had three quarterbacks that got offers this year from the state of Idaho. All of them only had a handful of offers because Boise State, Eastern, Idaho, Idaho State, and Weber can only offer so many of them, or UC Davis. Uh, Meanwhile, you go to Texas and you're like Stephen F. Austin, yeah, you're going to get a guy with 13 offers because every rice and North Texas and UTEP and UTSA, like all of them, Tulsa, they all probably threw him offers. So that's why I think Brian's system benefits the East a little bit more. It's just some of these guys get just a ton of offers. And I think the difference is you see North Dakota State still up in his, his is different because I feel like North Dakota State has like crossed this imaginary boundary now that if they're offering a kid, some, like, MAC and lower-tier Big Ten schools are actually like, whoa, 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 if North Dakota State's very high on this kid, like, maybe we should take a look at him. Speaking of, North Dakota State keeps kicking our asses every time we play them. So, I don't know. I think that has something to do with it. It's, like, you're looking at schools that have crossed the line to where FBS schools will respect who they're recruiting and then offer them. And in, out west, there just wasn't a lot of schools represented on there other than Montana State who just knocked it out of the park this year in recruiting. Because there's just only so many teams that can offer unless you're one of the California schools or you're going after a California recruit because that's the kind of guys that are going to get it. But kid from Nevada, kid from Idaho, they're not going to get a lot of things, which is why Eastern probably placed a little bit higher in that too is they do a lot of Washington and California recruiting, states where more people recruit out of because they're more known for football, where the state of Montana isn't going to get those offers. they got to find diamonds in the rough um, to to be able to make their rosters work and then they develop them which is what brian was talking about
2: yeah another way to look at that too is uh, you know colton Nuan is uses this example when he talks about it everyone who follows the fcs knows who troy anderson is yes. he was a likely zero star recruit out of montana Dylan. going to monta yeah out of Dylan, montana going to montana state a uh, kid like that is it grows up in seattle there's a very good chance there you know Oh, uh, at least a three-star recruit a at UW. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, but And I think that's where when you shift this focus to um, individual players. I think this is one place where you see the change happen again. So in the individual player sub- subject, uh, Brian McLaughlin did a top hero sports, top 300. We had one player in that. It was Caleb Jordan ranked number 43. He also was ranked the fifth-rated quarterback. No other Big Sky quarterback was in the top twenty, which was all the quarterbacks he ranked. So no other Big Sky school got a, a top recruited quarterback. Um, and then he was second overall rated recruit in the Big Sky behind some tight end's name I'm not going to try to pronounce going to UC Davis. Now you go over to 24/7 Sports and you look at their top 100 recruits, which I may have had to go make a manual list because there wasn't one and We'll see if I get that posted um, either here or maybe FCS Fans Nation. Caleb Jordan is the 24th rated quarterback in the FCS on 247 Sports. He's the third rated quarterback in the Big Sky. Two of those guys are from the state of Idaho. Keegan Thompson going to Idaho State and Shane Jennings going to Eastern Washington. They are rated higher than Caleb Jordan according to 247 Sports. But... To Caleb Jordan was more highly recruited, and so he's the second overall best recruit in the Big Sky, the fifth-rated quarterback in the entire nation this year, compared to twenty-fourth and third. So, um, I, I thought that was interesting to look at, where uh, Idaho has this great class according to two four seven, but then we have none of the top prospects, and then but we have Hero Sports gives us one of the top prospects in the country, and. Then 247 Sports has him as the 24th-ranked prospect in the FCS for quarterbacks. And I can tell you he was a long way from being on even the top 300 list in 247 Sports. I stopped at about, like, the .84 range. And Caleb Jordan's rating, I believe, is, like, a point eight zero three five, And there's a lot of people between that. I was in the 3,000s of recruits before I got to Caleb Jordan. So, um, It's just, it's so interesting to see the difference in the star rating versus coaches rating. And it goes to show that we know nothing about recruiting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, well, to me, what really shows at the end of the day is the players have to be going to the right system that's going to fit their skill set. Yeah. And you have to develop your players once they show up to uh, show up to your campus. I mean, North Dakota State does an excellent job year in and year out. If you're finding yourself plugging in freshmen here and there, I mean, that's just showing that, to me that you're not truly developing your players, and you're just you have you know gaping holes that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. So, I know uh, you and Kyler both talked about Eastern's class. I I do think it's probably a tie between you guys and Montana State, by far, for best classes. I mean, what Montana State did is, like, freaky scary, and it's just so polar opposite of what Montana's doing, which is just, I swear those guys can just not get along on any front. It's crazy, but um, I don't know. I, I mean, no, you're pretty high on Eastern, but... Uh, I don't know if you have Brian McLaughlin's article pulled up, but where do you guys rank in the top 50 classes?
1: Uh, I think we're number 17. If I, I'm just pulling off the top of my head right now, but I think we're right around number 17. Okay. So what's, Based I mean, on some breaking news research, yeah. that is correct. <laughs> Thanks. I actually had a question for you guys in regards to yeah. big sky recruiting. And this is actually a similar question that, uh, Brian asked me. So what is your guys' personal rankings? If you had to rank the big sky, I mean, you could just give a top three or just who you see is the real contenders who did the you know, the best job overall when it came to recruiting. Um,
0: Brian, do you want me to go first or you, would you like to go
2: first?
1: Um, so what I'm going to do is go over,
2: because again, I connect this to what we're going to see on the field uh, next year. Um, Which is fair. One, uh, Montana State—you have to say uh, fans should be happy about the class they have because one, uh, you know, I mean, they, they definitely got some Power Five transfers coming in, including a quarterback. Who, uh, you know, if that if that team has a quarterback, considering how um, Montana State is dominant on both sides of the line, um, they have they're good they have great running backs that are going to be coming back they have uh, a couple of a couple solid receivers coming back if they can have even a league average quarterback i mean that's a team that can score like 40 40 points a game um so i think montana state you have to put up there Um, i think based off what i've seen from eastern you have to put them up there and um I mean, I guess you. I guess UC Davis, who you know they're number 18 in hero sports, I would put up in top three. But I'd put Idaho in the discussion too, because again, what I what I think most fans care about when they read recruitment stuff, because I mean maybe you guys know a lot of these really, really far-thinking fans who are sorting this stuff for the next four years. Um, I'm terrible at that. If that's if that's how the average person looks at recruiting news. Idaho should be in the discussion for top five because we addressed the big need, some of the big needs we have. Uh, to me, the big question is, did we get enough secondary help?
0: Yeah, um, and it's funny you say that because I'm definitely the person you're talking about. I remember we had Alex Boatman on and Keenan Cole's was a quarterback. I was super excited we signed back in like 2015, and I remember seeing him playing for Duquesne this year at wide receiver. And I was like, wait, is that the Keenan Coles that committed to us at quarterback in 2015? So I'm, I'm the person that does this. Um, but, yeah, my my top five, we'll call it. Maybe we'll see how, how much I want to go deep because I think after a while they kind of blend together. I think Montana State and Eastern could be a coin flip. I'm going to lean Eastern just because I think Montana State's biggest thing was quarterback. They got a transfer. I'm not sure they got another freshman, and I would really – We'll see. I mean, they, they could tune it out. But Montana State's a quarterback away from being a national title contender, honestly. So I think they would have been beneficial to maybe go after maybe a higher profile guy. I don't know if they just couldn't get one. That being said, I think Eastern got Shane Jennings, who's an absolute stud. And so they're set for when Barrier goes away. And the quarterback room's already deep as is. He was adding to it. Um, and the fact that they signed over 20-something recruits. So in all, they got a class that's littered with talent. So the odds that on you sign, what did you guys sign? Like 23 or 24 people? You,
1: yeah, about 24, I believe. The odds that,
0: odds that at least eight of them hit or something is are, is pretty high or at least become consistent starters. Um, then I'll, I'll go Montana State. Uh, a sneaky one that I don't think is getting enough credit. I do think what Cal Poly was able to get with just short notice with um, Bo Baldwin I think was actually quite impressive um, when I was going through the list, they had a couple people in the top 100. Uh, another team that surprisingly had more recruits commit to them than I would have thought was uh, Sacramento State. So I might put them and us at that like four or five spots. And then if you had to round it out, it's probably a tie between Portland State and Northern Arizona. But that being said, I also think that Northern Colorado put together a really good class for what was like Nobody was talking about Northern Colorado. No, I agree, just like yeah. You're trying to see, like, what will Ed McCaffrey even be able to do with such short notice and not being having any college connections? I mean, I guess he was coaching high school, so he has the high school coach connection. But um, I think those are all programs right now that you're looking at and you could say had a solid class. I don't think it's fair to judge Montana because they just they recruit so much differently than everybody else. But I will say a disappointing class so far would have to be Weber. Um, you've had three years to build on this momentum and you still haven't had a really, like, show me class yet. It it just it makes – if I was a Weber fan, it would just make me scared because if Jay Hill leaves, you haven't proven that you can bring te- – he's proven that he can develop it and coach it up. He's taken a bunch of nobodies and brought them up. But you're not going to have a bu- anybody's. No Jimmies and no Joe's if he leaves. So it's going to be all about the X's and O's. And I'm not sure Weber State's going to be able to – find another Jay Hill when he eventually moves on. I mean, I think everyone can admit they're they're playing with borrowed time right now. I'm surprised he's still going to be going there this Who knows, actually? Colorado just opened up. We'll see. But um, I, I would say Weber State so far gets the biggest F, in my opinion. Um, Portland State and NAU outperformed. Montana, I refuse to judge. I probably have – then Sac State and us somewhere at four and five. I'd have Cal Poly at three, and then Montana State Eastern.
1: I like I like the Cal Poly poll. That's good. Uh, I just two quick cents, real quick. So uh, speaking on the Montana State transfer, it's Matt McKay. He came from he's coming from NC State, mm-hmm. and he'll be a junior and he's immediately eligible. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens this summer and going into the fall if Matt McKay ends up being the starter.
0: Yeah, because I remember the R&R CatCast guys, uh, one of their cousins or sisters or brother I don't know, somewhere down the family line, they know someone who's a huge NC State fan and and I think they live in Raleigh or somewhere in North Carolina. And they texted him right when it happened and the guy was like, oh, you know, good footwork gets scared easily or something like that, saying like, he's got all the potential there but he needs to work on being calm. Uh, You can... Another shout-out to another Big Sky Podcast Network podcast, the r Catcast, but um, their interview talking about when he transferred, they brought up uh, an NC State fan's opinion on him. Now, that being said, I think we can all admit that the talent he's seeing at, in the ACC is a little bit more scary when you're going up against defensive lines like Clemson that has everybody get drafted in the first round. Compared to like a Weber State where they have like one guy that's even getting invited to the combine probably. So um I don't know. We'll we'll see how it works out from everything I've heard. There's a chance that he's not even the guy who wins the job. So that's where I was saying, like, I don't know if that's even if he doesn't work out, who else did you bring in? You're gonna be with Tucker Rovig or do you really bite the bullet and do another year of freaking uh Dad, I can't see, Troy Anderson. Uh, it'll it'll be interesting. I I just think that they – I would have done more at the quarterback position for how close they are as a team right now to really challenging North Dakota State, but a quarterback away, and you really just bring in a a kind of a question mark from NC State, who is eligible right away and, for all we know, can be the next Dalton Snead. That's what Dalton Snead did. And then I believe they either preferred walk-on or got another, like, California quarterback or something. So they did address the high school need but i once again i don't think when you're talking about uh bauman who is a three star is he going to be better than bauman or tucker rovig we'll see it's it's the big sky a lot of the stars are not stars if that makes sense so (laughs) um let's see how much time you got rusty
1: i got like we could cover uh N-C-A-N-T N-C, uh, talk about the uh, talk about their big breaking news and let's, that's probably will do me.
0: Let's do it. All right, so we'll, we'll get you on for football and then Brian and I will wrap up with a little bit of basketball and then we'll probably call it. NCA and T for those of you that don't know has joined the Big South Conference. They are currently and will be next year still playing in the MiAC. Uh, the N-C-A-N-T is a historical black college and university so it's a little bit of a taboo for them to i don't know if taboo is the right word but a uh, a, kind of a a shot across the bow of all their other like institutions that they have decided to almost in a way pursue the fame and the money instead of kind of stick together as a group Um, which they aren't the first school to do it i believe was it howard or hampton one of them uh, is HBCU Hampton. Hampton and left to join the big South as well, I believe. Um, so it, it's not unheard of. They're not the first school to do it, but they're definitely probably the biggest name school to do it. Speaking of from everything I've been reading over the last two years, they have actual FBS like aspirations. So not only would they be leaving the MIAC and SWAC behind, which are the, the two conferences that host only HBCU universities and playing the Celebration Bowl instead of participating in the playoffs, which for them is a national championship. And if you need any history on this, ESPN just did a great documentary called Saturdays in the South about this. Go watch it. They cover all about the HBCUs and how, how they came to be. And kind of the fall of them was all because, I mean, you can probably take a guess money came in the football, and then all of a sudden Alabama decided that maybe having some of those HBCU players on their team would help them compete with the likes of Ohio State and Michigan that were. Um, But ever since then, they've been this really close-knit group that have stayed together in these conferences and have done – I mean, they've thrived, but they decided to make the move to the Big South, which is big in so many ways because, one, you have a big-name program that's now going to be eligible for the playoffs. You also have the Big South now, which has arguably become – the fourth or fifth or sixth best conference in the FCS, depending on who you talk to, which makes them, what was a two-big league, seem like they're going to be a three-big league. Um, It's big for the FCS because, like I said, now you have a team like this in the playoffs, and we can actually see what they do. And for the game of college football, they could be five to ten years out from playing FBS ball and being the first HBCU in the FBS. I mean, so I guess for you guys, I want to know how good is this for the FBS how good is it for NCA and T how bad is it for the HBCUs? And then where does the big South rank in all this now? Cause obviously they're the biggest winner of all of them. They went from being a cupcake conference to you now they have two real contenders and kind of a third little, you know, the, the big sky fifth seed we'll call it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think this, this is a win for not only the FCS, but for also for the Aggies as well. I mean, north carolina at i mean they went nine and three last season so since the celebration Bowl came in fruitation so for the past five years they've won it four times so they've been kind of the powerhouse of the MiAC, uh and this is adds another talented team to the playoff picture in my opinion so it'll be interesting to see what happens but for north carolina it this also just gives them more exposure as well being a part possibly a part of the playoff pitcher and then more games on espn plus so to me, it's a win-win. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they're able to, uh, or how they'll be able to, you know, compete in the playoff pitchers if they're able to make it. In regards to, you know, how we rank the Big South, I think you're exactly right, Chris. They're right to me around that five or six seed, I guess you could say, in regards to ranking the conferences.
0: Yeah, I think I, I, that's about where I put them, Brian. What do you think?
1: Yeah. So two things. By the way, I say
2: two things all the time. But um, <laughs> first, NCA&T has been in the playoffs, but just so listeners know, it's kind of a weird situation where they have to get an at-large yeah, bid yeah, because at act. present, the winner of their conference goes to the Celebration Bowl. Um, the last time NCA&T was in the FCS playoffs, it was in 2016, and they got their asses kicked by Richmond, 39-10. Uh, to 10. Uh, But against the, you know, against the schedule they've played the last few years, they're, you know, they are doing great. They have three consecutive eight, you know, Celebration Bowl National Championships. Uh, The Big South, you know, that's where Monmouth and Kennesaw State reside. Uh, Monmouth and Kennesaw State, they both won playoff games, didn't they? Yes. Correct. Uh, Yeah, so adding another
0: quarters last year or maybe even the quarters they made it to the quarters
1: yeah Kennesaw state almost beat uh weaver i believe as well
2: yeah they were i thought they were second uh Kennesaw state i thought they were second round because they, they played weber they yeah. were weber's first game yeah uh because then we played montana in the quarters but um one it's yeah the conference is definitely going should be stronger um it is a little bit i, I don't know enough about the hbcus to say how big a loss this is going to be. But I'm going to say if a team's won it three of the last uh, three years and four of the last five years, and with that one gap, they had an at-large playoff bid, it is definitely a loss, kind of like in the Big Sky. You know, if one of the high upper-tier Big Sky teams were to move to the FBS uh, by themselves, that would definitely be a hit for the conference. Would it, you know, doom the conference? Of course, no. Um, But it would certainly be a hit for us. So uh, big picture, I think having – though I like the Celebration Bowl, I like the notoriety it has. I like the history at the HBCUs. um, I wish the Big Sky didn't have that um, setup where we have a couple conferences that are the winner isn't eligible for the playoffs or like the Ivies just don't do the playoffs. Um, But, you know, for the Big South, definitely a win – uh, I don't think it makes them, an, you know, they're not a power three with this ad, uh, but I think th- it's going to help teams like Monmouth and Kennesaw State be able to say, like, hey, we had another quality game because that's the knock on those teams. Yep.
0: And I think I kind of got one more kind of quick thing to broach with you guys and we'll let Rusty get out of here. But I I think I believe it was Kyler that said this on your guys' podcast, and I, it was something that has been resonating me with me since I heard it, and it made me play with this idea. The Ivy Leagues, it, and we're probably not the people to discuss on this because I did not go to an HBCU school. I don't know anybody that did, and I didn't go to an Ivy League school, and I only know one person that did, and they don't like me that much, so they don't they don't talk to me. Uh, I think if you're not going to participate in the playoffs, we need to find a way to have you not be in the FCS. I think Kyler nailed it that the FCS has na- – the ivies could go fbs they have the money they they would be no less attended than the mac and it just makes sense then they only have like two or three teams make a bowl game and bowl games can be before finals or after finals because they'll get to set the bowl game agreement, and so then it goes around their whole the whole playoffs thing that they have a oopla about and then they're still held up in the high regards of like the rutgers and everybody else that started football um but then I think for the HBCUs, you've had two of your best teams leave here now. I think you got to view this as, like, a shot across your ballot. And this is where I was saying, like, I probably have no right talking about this because I didn't go there and I don't understand all of the history of it. But, I mean, the Celebration Bowl makes you money. But as a school who constantly gets crapped on for talking about bowl games and how we viewed them as very valuable, and here we are dying for the FCS, I think... You're going to start losing, for instance, a team that Prairie View A&M, who just had a phenomenal recruiting class. Are they going to be the next NCAA and T? And then how long is it where these guys realize they can play bigger ball and they jump ship? And I think it's bad for the brand that they've created. So, I don't know. I I just kind of wish they'd look at this and go like, hey, you know what, NCAA and T, what if we decided no more Celebration Bowl and we'll all start playing for the playoffs? Because maybe you get Hampton back in. And at Prairie View A&M looks to be go or not Prairie View, Florida A&M looks to be coming up and up. And then you've got three really good teams in the MIAC and SWAC that could, I don't know. I just, I want to see them in the playoffs. And I get why they don't do it, but I think it would fix teams like NCA and T leaving. I think this would be like a big sky situation. The Mo- Montana's not jumping ship, you know, if the rest of the big sky sucks because it's the big sky. And that's where all their allegiances have been for years. They're not going to go join the Missouri Valley. So, I don't know. I, I kind of. Do you think making us play, making the HBCU playoff eligible, would help, like full playoff eligibility, getting rid of the celebration bowl, would help teams stay? Like, do you think this might be a shot that one or two of these teams in the next decade or two could leave?
2: I mean, I, I think there's a chance that happens for sure, uh, but I guess for me the other the thing that shifts is one again. I'm happy that it, it the celebration Bowl exists. I like I like the pageantry of the bands, the way that those schools uh, have just fantastic bands that t- you know that are part of their halftime stuff too. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. You know, if you keep losing the top teams, like I don't know how long people continue to take the national championship designation seriously.
0: Yeah. All right, Rusty, let's get your closing thoughts on this, and then we'll, we'll let you get on to your to your night activities.
1: No, I mean I don't. I mean I, I agree with all your comments that you had, Chris. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if, if they don't adjust something, I I, I, I can see more teams just kind of making the move to conferences like Hampton and uh, NCAT. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in the future. But uh, you know, from a, a football fan, I'm excited to see this move because I know that they have a, a a pretty solid football team, and I'm excited to see what they could do in 2021. But with that being said, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a blast. I had fun talking Idaho and Eastern Washington yeah, basketball uh, with you.
0: Yeah, but before you go, let the let the people know where they how they can find you, and uh, let's get your quick pick on the rivalry name.
1: <laughs> oh jeez, <laughs> uh, so you can, <laughs> you can reach me at uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can hit me up with some hate, you can hit me up with some love, but uh, it's at mid fourth four T H rounder. Or you can hit Kyler and I up on Eagle Power Hour. So uh, in regards to the name, I'll get back to you, Chris. I, I, I'm not a very creative person. I'll come up back. Uh, I'll hit you up on Twitter. Right, we got
2: one a- thing we have to do for you. Go, dude. And you can listen to our answer on the pod. We got it. We have to have answer. you be iced.
0: Ask us any question. Then you can go. We'll answer it. And you can listen back on the pod.
2: Any topic, football, Big Sky, uh, or non-football, Big Sky, anything you want. to. Talk- anything you want, we'll discuss it.
1: All right, uh, well, with that being said, uh, how what were you, you guys' thoughts on, on the, uh, Vernon Adams making the move from Eastern Washington to Oregon? That's my question for you. Did you guys think it was a, a great move for, for uh, Vernon Adams, or did you feel like it was a little bit of betrayal? Or just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on it.
0: All right, sounds good. We'll discuss it, Rusty. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks, guys. All right, Brian. Um, Do you want to take this one? You being the Eastern fan, I don't know how much. um, Yeah. You probably have a little bit different opinion on it than I do.
2: So I absolutely followed this when it happened. And so my take on on the graduate transfer or just transferring is, look, a dude earned their degree. They fulfilled their obligation at the school. If a guy like Vernon Adams had a chance to compete on a top five team and when he played the whole game at – at um, Oregon, they did not lose a game. Um, I have no problem with that. Yeah. It's it's be, it's become like accelerated now because in a lot of ways, graduate transfers have been used as essentially free agency yep. for last year. Yeah. And Vernon Adams was open in the interview. The coaches asked him when he was transferring, "Are you transferring to go to school, or are you transferring yeah. to play football?" He said it was to play football, so they got an easy course schedule. Yeah. Um, so there are some ways where that. Uh, process is being abused a little bit, but the guy earned his degree. He still had a year of eligibility. I see no problem with it, just as I saw no problem with Bo Baldwin saying once he transferred, hey, dude, you're not on our team anymore.
0: Yeah, for people that are about to go at the NCAA, uh, listen to their episode. What he meant by easier, are you here for football or are you here for school? What Eastern did or Oregon did was then like, okay, instead of having you take high-level master classes, we're going to have you take the bare minimum credits, and you're going to have mostly online classes or classes where, you know, you're in classes on days where we don't have practice. That's that's what they meant by football. If you're there for school, they're going to give you a normal cro- course load so you can work on getting that degree. But if you were there for football, they're going to be like, look, here's the degree you want. Here's the most optimal schedule we can make for you. So, you know, you might not be taking – you might be missing some of the classes a normal kid trying to get your degree as a graduate would take. So it's not like they were, like, mailing him in report cards or anything. That was – because I know when I first heard it, that's what I thought. But, yeah, my opinions on the whole Eastern Washington thing was – I mean, I'm sure there's a fraction of the internet that will come out at me in this, but I didn't notice anybody really calling foul when Gage Gruber grad transferred to Washington State because they had Eric Berrier in the Whims. The only reason people were kind of worried about uh, Vernon Adams leaving was because, like, they didn't know what to expect with the next quarterback. It was pretty unproven. They had the best quarterback, I, in my opinion, they've ever had, and they lose him to a Power 5 school. And I think they are going like – you listen to him when he's like, I've got billboards, I got this. I think they felt a little betrayed because they gave him all the love, um, and he left. And I think that was the first time they've really experienced somebody leaving. But – I don't know. They, they didn't cry foul when Gage Goobrood left because they knew they had somebody pretty much better in the whims. Um, they didn't cry foul when Ty Graham left us to go to Eastern. So I think people that get mad about stuff like that, like we poked fun at Lashley for uh, leaving to go to Boise State as a grad transfer because that's to a direct rival. But um, you still can't hate his opinion of like, all right, I'm going to be a senior. Do I have a better chance of making the NFL as a linebacker at Idaho, or do I have a better chance of being making the NFL as a linebacker at Boise State? Well, Caden Ellis proved that you can pretty much do it at Idaho. Maybe he should have stayed because I don't think he saw the field or got any looks at Boise State. Meanwhile, Ed Hall and Caden Ellis did, and Caden Ellis got drafted. But um, you can't hate it. And like he says in the interview, Oregon at that time was a top five program in the country, coming off two national t- championship appearances. Like, um, in, you know, in that in the last four or five years, so they were a program on the rise that just lost one of their all time great quarterbacks. And why why don't you go there? And he said he grew up a fan, so
2: um, just Can I add yeah. one thing to that too. Yeah, this is just the schooling component. Um, i don't know if you if people are aware of this but back in the day when matt Leiner was at usc now he stayed all all four years Mm -hmm. he did not do a grad transfer his senior year all he took were pe classes he took like three credits of them yeah Um, a guy like vernon adams and i'm just talking now i'm just talking about the impact on the individual playing
1: yeah
2: if vernon adams had stayed at eastern washington having fulfilled his graduate Uh, his undergraduate requirements he could have you know essentially done the same thing Mm -hmm. i don't think the world is a worse place for vernon adams having had to pass graduate level coursework instead of just instead of you know essentially have a dick around a semester or two
0: and and like he Um, said in the in the thing like his degree still says eastern washington like he graduated from eastern washington He's an Eastern Washington alumni. He's not an Oregon alumni. He's an Eastern Washington alumni. He doesn't wear Oregon stuff or talk about how Oregon's, you know, he wasn't blowing up uh, what's-his-bucket, Helfrich or the Willie Taggart when they were coaches at Oregon. He's talking about what's going on at Eastern. He's an eagle, and I get how you can feel betrayed, especially if it's the first time. I I haven't followed Eastern, you know, my entire life, but – I feel like that was the first time they got burned, and I think that's why it hurt them so much. But, yeah, you can't hate the guy for taking a top five at the time school. Um, to try and show out. I mean, he had the tape against Oregon State and Dub, but he was going to put that tape up again, his most two popular games for NFL stickouts, for a whole season. So, I don't know. I, it made total logical sense for him to do it. Yes, does he realize that he probably passed up making a deep playoff run, possibly a national title, and going down as Eastern Washington legend? Yes, of course he realizes that. But long uh, in the end, I think he re- everybody should realize that the decision he made was the best decision for him. And at the end of the day, that that's what it's about. You can't hate a guy for doing what's best for him. Just like we don't hate Ty Graham <laughs> for going to Eastern
2: no oh, wow. and my last point is i think it is also funny to look back now and learn that vernon adams had worse receivers when he transferred to oregon because yeah. at eastern he was playing with cooper cup and kendrick Bourne.
0: yeah two nfl guys star nfl guys but yes yeah um yeah that was a good question though um brian let's real quick wrap this podcast up but we'll do a quick review of the basketball games that occurred so people that weren't aware of it um can be made aware of it. So, uh, what would you see from Montana, Montana State? And I'm going to stay quiet on this one. Give us your quick little brief rundown, and then we'll close it out. And while you do that, I'll check for hashtag STATCS.
2: So this is going to transition to my what I believe Idaho fans need to do for the remainder of the season. You know, we have um, about eight games left, uh, maybe nine-ish if you count the postseason um you know we are uh, we have four division 1 wins i'm not counting i'm not counting our uh, d2 nai wins in this record we're 4 and 17 overall against d1 teams we have one away win at sac state this team has given us enough evidence they're not going to be good um now we're happy when they're competitive but why why would a fan watch a team that we know is not good the reason I'm going to say is we need to just appreciate what Trayvon Allen is doing while while we have him. We have about nine games left in Trayvon's career. He is second in conference in scoring at 22.5 points per game. Um, he's doing – last season I talked about how our offensive problem with Trayvon was he was taking way too many tough shots, not getting easy points at the free throw line, not getting easy points from three. This season, Trayvon in conference – has improved his three-point shooting percentage from uh, 35% last season, which, by the way, that's 35 is not bad at all. Uh, but he, he was definitely up and down throughout last season. Had a hot streak to get up to 35. He's shooting 44.3% from three. That is extremely good, and he's a decent amount. His threes are relatively tough shots. Second, last year he wasn't getting easy points at the free throw line. In conference, shot 2.3 free throws a game. He's more than doubled that to 5.2 free throws a game. Plus he's hitting a higher percentage of his free throws. So in short, Trayvon through his own work um, and, you know, through some, uh, I would call them changes in the offense. He's getting more shots up this year too, but he's hitting them in a better clip. Um, he has improved in just about every, every facet of the game offensively. He is in some ways becoming a joy to watch. And if we are watching Idaho expecting wins, we're not going to see a ton. You know, we could win out. We'd still have a losing record, and we're not going to win out. Uh, but Trayvon may make the case for first team all league in spite of being on one of the – a team that's going to finish bottom two in the conference. You know, and he – against Montana State, he was our lone bright spot in a one of his recently worst offensive games. It was not a bad game. He shot – he scored 19 points – on uh, sixteen shots, he didn't get to the free throw line that game, which is why he was sub twenty points only shot two free throws. Still not a bad game, not a great game, but not a bad game at all. But if that's the floor of what we're gonna see, we've seen from him, and it's the floor of what we've seen out of him for a long time, you know that's a that's a pretty special thing to watch. I didn't think last season Trayvon was special because he averaged like one point, barely over one point per shot. That's the definition of a guy who's only scoring because he's getting lots of shots up. And that's not the case this year. He's improved across the board and then against Montana. Had one of his career best games. He's scored... Um, uh, yeah, sorry. He scored 36 points on 17 shots against Montana. Got the free throw line. Shot 14 free throws. Um, he was aggressive the entire game. Montana chose to not help and essentially try and shut down the rest of Idaho, which they did. Uh, but if... Uh, Timmy Falls is one of the better on-ball defenders in the league. That guy was guarding Trayvon, and Trayvon uh, scored 25 points in the second half. So, you know, my view, one, appreciate what we have while he's here because uh, a season like this is getting closer to a season like Victor Sanders' last two seasons just from the individual performance. Chris, Chris, your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, I mean... I mean, you know that right right now this year is pretty much enjoy Trayvon. It, it's, like you said, it's an example of if the teams that Vic Sanders was on were bad, you would just have to just sit back that last year and enjoy what you're getting to watch in Vic Sanders. Same thing this year, same with Kyle Barone, same with Jeff Ledbetter. We've had players, Mac Hopson. there are players that no matter how good or bad the team is, you just tune in because the last time you're going to see him in you know, the silver and gold, Trayvon Allen's one of those guys. You know, with Vandal family from the Palouse, uh, just an easy guy to root for, and it's just playing hard. And having one of his best years he's ever had at Idaho, like you said, he's improved his scoring. Um, I, Dramatically yeah. improved his scoring. It's just this, this team is not going to go on a magical run win the conference tournament, and end up in the NCAAs. And I don't think we'd want that because we'd be one of those 16-16 seeds um, and probably not even make it to the big weekend. And it would be like, so this is the year we make it, and we don't even get mainstream TV access because we'd be like 11 and 20. So um, just enjoy Trayvon. Uh, it, his career is almost over. Buy tickets if you're down in Boise or anywhere in the Treasure Valley and just go check this team out in CenturyLink because I'm telling you they're going to pull out a win in a, at CenturyLink Arena come of the Big Sky Basketball Tournament. But just go enjoy this team because they are fighting hard. They're going to keep you interested in every game. So that, that's all I really have to say to basketball.
2: I want to add one. Yep. I want to contextualize Trayvon's improvement from last season to this season. As a sophomore – which uh, Trayvon had a pretty underwhelming sophomore season. You know, he averaged 4.8 points per game as a freshman uh, off the bench. And then second season where he, we thought he might've had, uh, we, he would take a step up. He averaged fewer points per game. Uh, free throw percentage plummeted. Free throw attempts plummeted. Uh, a lot of times he just looked like a, a guy who was being told to play point guard who just was not going to be a division one point guard. Uh, and by the way, I talked about that last season about like, hey, please move him off the ball so we can get better shots. The offensive jump that he showed from his sophomore to his junior season was uh, 9.2 points per game in conference, average 4.7 as a sophomore, uh, then averaged 13.9 as a junior. Um, that's a pretty big jump to go from a, uh, a spot contributor to uh, one of the team's top two scores. Yeah. The jump from last season to this season in points per game is 8.6. So almost a completely identical jump in going from a spot performer to leading scorer. Now he's going from a leading scorer to like a conference leading scorer.
0: I think it's time to close the bar, Brian. First thing, I guess we'll go full circle on this. I know there was unfortunately some... Some Twitter drama on the interwebs this week with uh, somebody noticing the Big Sky coaches picture and Paul Petrino having a bandage on his you know, nose and eye socket area. Obviously, um, people that posted about that, and we're, t- we're not talking about the Colton Clark one, because that was honest, but for instance, some Eastern and Montana people that shared it around as well. Um, obviously, everybody wishes Paul Petrino to get better soon. Um, we don't have a lot of information on how he's doing, uh, the athletic department and the family have been rather quiet on it so i think they're trying to keep it kind of personal and in-house so we're going to do our best to respect that here on the podcast and not speculate Um, other than he was obviously healthy enough to get on a plane or drive to farmington utah so um, all signs would point to he's um, having a good recovery and hopefully we hope he stays on track i think we all think that we might be on to something special for this upcoming football season so Um, The quicker Paul can get back out on the gridiron and helping coach this amazing recruiting class he's put together, uh, the better. So, obviously, I think we stand by everybody, Vandal and Big Sky related, and say, you know, get well soon, Paul. And it's funny because we talked about how, for the Colton Clark thing, how sometimes what you say on Twitter isn't what it sounds like in person. And our first topic in this podcast nails that perfectly with Vernon Adams. I'm sure if we got Colton, maybe we should get Colton Clark on next week. Discuss... The difference of what you say on Twitter and how it can be interpreted on the internet. But uh, we'll move past this subject because obviously we just want Paul to get better. Um, April 17th, FCS versus FBS breakdown at the big or not the big sky media days the silver and gold game that's why we're testing out all these youtube live streams is to try to figure out the audio and connection so that for those of you that don't make it to the spring game even though it'll be none of you because we know you're all going to make it to the spring game you guys can check it out watch us online because um, from everything we've heard some people care i know some people are giving us flack for bringing it up but some people seem to really want it we've got a lot of guests lined up to do it so it, it should be a good time. Brian actually came up with a really cool idea for you guys um, to help keep the football spirit alive as news will start to die down as the offseason uh, continues. We're going to start doing a position spotlight leading into the spring game and everything. We'll probably be starting next week with wide receivers, start you guys off with something that's a pretty big position to need and pretty exciting, and then we'll just roll through every position group and kind of just be able to break down. So it'll be a learning experience for us. and It'll be a learning experience for you guys. So going into the 2020 season, you know, pretty much our entire two deep. So we're excited to bring you guys that that'll be starting next week. We'll be focusing, like I said, on the wide receivers, you know, how to find Brian and I by now, but if you don't, Brian, how can they find you?
2: Find me at Brian Marceau. That's M-A-R-C-E-A-U. Uh, yeah. We're doing the position breakdown. My hope is that it'd be, it's a great way to, other than drum up excitement is to make sure that it is to help people learn the names of the likely contributors yeah. and where to, where to look for them. Cause I know for me, it's always when I start doing the podcast and I start to actually know who more of the players were, mm-hmm. the games are already fun. It's real fun yeah. when you start to know who to pay attention Imagine to. Imagine if
0: everybody knew about Jeff Cotton before Fresno state, we would have enjoyed Jeff Cotton so much more when Colton Richardson hit him on an 80 yard bomb. But most people had no idea who, Jeff Cotton was, and part of that's our fault, and that's why we're, we're trying to fix that because we. I was aware of who he was. I didn't think he would be as big of a contributor, especially in that first game, as he was. We were so busy talking quarterback. Um, so we're, we're going to break down everything, and we'll probably save quarterback for last or before the spring game because that's probably the most exciting. But we'll probably post a list of all the positions, but we'll all talk through it as a team and let you guys know. Make sure you follow the Big Sky Podcast Network to follow us Follow all the BSPN developments and receive content throughout the year. The Grizz Fan Pod just released another three-hour episode with Culture Nuanez. Obviously, we've been posting stuff weekly. The Eagle Power Hour has been posting stuff. I believe the CatCast, RNR CatCast just reposted something. There's a Weber podcast coming down the pipeline. There's Troy and uh, Aaron all. So, I mean, the Big Sky is keeping you busy all year round. So make sure you tune in. And follow at Big Sky Podcast and the Big Sky Podcast Network to follow all the content because there is no off-season. There's football all year round. Um, and that's all I've got to say. So it is time for the best band in all the land, the sound of Idaho, to play us out. Go Vandals.
2: Go Vandals.